Every vampire, kindred or canine, has a beast within them. While humans certainly have instincts and urges, none can match the primordial ferocity and raw rage of the beast. It is constantly there, right beneath the surface, urging the vampire on to commit atrocities, to prey upon the weak, and to slake their thirst on the blood of the innocents. The beast is personal, no two appear the same. To some kindred, it is merely an instinct, uh, an urge at the back of their head that sometimes becomes impossible to ignore. Others may experience it as a voice, their own or a completely different one, that tries to tempt them, almost tricking them into acts that violate their moral code. But what they all have in common, however, is that they represent the darker side of the vampire, the urge to act first and think later. Much time and work has been spent trying to understand the origins of this almost supernatural presence within them. Is it an id made more powerful by the change? Does its origin lie with the original sin of Cain, who murdered his own brother in a jealous rage? Or is it perhaps part of the curse laid upon him and his descendants by God? Maybe it's simply a new instinct, just like how a vampire's fangs extend when they are hungry or about to feed. Regardless, from the night they become vampires until their death, their beast will be the ever-present companion, always testing the strength of their host's will. And no matter how strong of a will a kindred may have, all it takes is one single misstep to fall into a state of frenzy, tearing into loved ones or strangers on the street, draining them dry in a fit of bestial need. Few, if any vampires can say that they have not committed deeds under the influence of their beast that has caused them great pain and suffering afterwards. Yet the insidiousness of their bestial nature goes far beyond the immediate result of them succumbing to a frenzy. Indeed, the acts enacted under the beast's influence are often so gratuitous, so hideous, that few kindred feel particularly good about them afterwards. Initially. But over time, callousness will take root, and many older vampires will simply shrug as the blood-red haze of their frenzy lifts and they see the mangled bodies of their victims, their blood staining their hands. They would have died eventually anyway, is a common justification they will tell themselves, having lived for so long a time that they know this to be a fact. Yet a vampire who becomes complacent to this, who sees the death of mortals as inevitable and of little note, will slowly degenerate until nothing really matters to them except for their own personal gratification. And that is the path to Wasail. A vampire needs a reason to continue their nightly existence, something to anchor them to their sanity. If they lack this, if they let themselves slip one too many times, they will eventually become a white, a mindless, bloodthirsty beast that stalks the night, all vestiges of humanity or higher thinking shed like a snake sheds their skin. These poor souls have no conscious thought left, nor any memories or recollection of their previous lives. It is a sad state to exist in, but it is also a risk not only to mortals, whom they will happily feed on given the chance, but to the rest of the vampiric world, as there is no longer any consideration to the masquerade. Yet the path to Wazail, the final breaking point, the final frenzy, so to speak, is paved with the smallest things. Perhaps the vampire begins by stealing or destroying others' property, 
What does ownership matter to someone who can live forever? Eventually they will harm or even kill their vessels, first by accident, later through carelessness. Countless mortals die every night, what is one more number in the pile? Eventually they will stop seeing humans as anything but cattle to slake their thirst on, and their depravity begins to know no bounds. At this point, without any moral code to keep themselves in check, little matters for the vampire but where they will get their next meal. Yet this degradation is not merely mental. Indeed, as a vampire sinks into their bestial depravity, they will exhibit physical signs of it as well. A kindred who thinks and acts much the same way as they did when mortal may only appear paler than the kind, less alive. Yet one whose humanity is barely existing appears predatorial and corpse-like, unwholesome on a level difficult to describe. Eventually they begin to lose their sentience, their grasp of reality, and it is not uncommon that they lose the ability to speak or form coherent sentences, moving and acting much like an animal. Vampires whose humanity is waning find it harder to rise in the evening, even the slightest hint of dusk abhorrent to them. If driven into torpor, they will remain in it for longer if they are closer to the beast. And some truly depraved creatures may spend centuries in it should they be brought low. Contrarywise, a vampire who treasures their humanity and their relationship with mortals may find it easier to blend in and may even engage in mortal activities such as having sex without much difficulty. A vampire close to a sile would not even consider such an act, having long since lost any passion or interest in such a cattle-like activity. The Camarilla, and in a sense the Anarchs, eschew this behavior. They have embraced what used to be referred to as the Via Humanitatis, Road of Humanity. In a sense, they attempt to emulate human beings, pretending, much like an actor would, to display behavior and thoughts that humans would, despite being anything but. Indeed, while the humane mindset may come natural to most younger vampires, after all the memories of their mortal lives are still fresh, older kindred who still adhere to these mortal morals do so merely because it is a convenient way of staving off the beast not necessarily because they themselves naturally embrace these virtues. Sabbat Canaanites call this the ultimate hypocrisy, and they may be right in that. After all, vampires are no longer human, and their needs differ greatly from that of the kind. Yet it is perhaps admirable for an ancient vampire to still cling on to their human values, and some even transcend base humanity, appearing saint-like in their compassion and virtue. To one of these rare pillars of humanity, even selfish acts or thoughts are prohibited, and to cause harm unto another is unthinkable. Naturally, maintaining this sort of behavior is exceptionally challenging, perhaps impossible. Many cynical vampires will cackle at the thought, arguing that the higher you prop yourself up, the further your inevitable fall will be. Yet there is something to be said for this saintly behavior. Amongst vampires there are stories circulating about a state of being above the whims and influences of the beast. An exaltation where the vampire barely needs to feed on blood, and where they may even earn the forgiveness of God, possibly even becoming mortal again. This state of being is called Golconda, and to most vampires it is a mere fairy tale. The Camarilla see it as an allegory of retaining your humanity, and in that sense it suits its purpose but has no intrinsic value in itself. To the Sabbat, it is a joke, as they have no interest in earning salvation, or retaining their humanity for that matter. 
Yet there are rumors that Golconda is achievable and, perhaps surprising, something you can lose. The Inkonu, a secret society of kindred who supposedly have abandoned their personal jihad for a greater purpose, are said to have either attained or are pursuing Golconda. And Saulot, the progenitor of the lost clan Salubri, is often said to have achieved this state of enlightenment when he journeyed east. The Via Humanitatis, the road of humanity that I described earlier, has not always been as dominant as it is tonight. Indeed, in ages past, it was but one set of morals amongst many. Canites have always had a need for some manner of moral guidance, some code of ethics to adhere to in order to maintain control over themselves, to justify their actions, and most importantly, to keep the beast at bay. There were many such roads, far from all of them as humanitarian as the Via Humanitatis. Some were, or at least upheld virtues that a mortal could relate to, yet others were utterly inhumane and twisted, fully embracing the dark nature and powers of the clans of the Cainites, reveling in their lost humanity. But the Burning Times, a series of events where humanity struck back against the oppressive vampires and forced them into hiding, showed many ancient vampires that they could no longer rule in the open like before. The kind were too many to easily control, and any vampire who did not at least pretend to be human would easily be discovered and subsequently hunted by the witch hunters of the church. Thus the decision was made to establish the masquerade, and with it humanity became a moral pathway for the vampires of the ivory tower. At least those who still had the need to interact with mortals. It is far from uncommon for truly ancient vampires of the Camarilla to still adhere to a path, as they are called these knights, and those creatures appear to young neonates quite like the monsters of legend, beings who are of an utterly alien mindset. As we have established, a vampire needs a set of morals to adhere to, but we also know that there is, strictly speaking, no need for them to be human morals. Indeed, the Cainites of the Sabbat, as well as some in clans unaffiliated with the Camarilla, have cast their humanity aside out of convenience or necessity, and for a good reason. A Tsimitsi fleshcrafter will, over time, commit such despicable and callous acts against mortals that they would quickly risk succumbing to the beast if they were to try to cling to their human values. A worshipper of Cain who studies Nodist lore may seek to emulate the primordial father of their species, but in doing so may have to transcend the limitations their human morals impose upon them. Thus, they turn to the paths of enlightenment. It is imperative to understand that paths are inhumane by their very nature. Yet that does not mean that they consistently perform acts that we would consider evil. Many followers of paths do not kill mortals unless they have to. Yet this is not for reasons of compassion or sympathy or an instinctual understanding of the wrongness of this act. Instead, the reasoning may be that the murder would prevent the corruption of a virtuous soul or that it is simply against the laws of nature to kill without a purpose. Other paths, however, may espouse callous murder, simply because the death of a mortal may provide invaluable insights into the topic, or because it helps establish dominance over others. While some paths are widely known, others may be known only to a select few, and guarded jealously from unworthy outsiders. Any who wish to walk a path must show that they are capable of doing so. A mindless Sabbat grunt who has clawed their way out of the ground may have little to no grasp of humanity left in them, yet they rarely have the mental fortitude or acuity to grasp the nuances of a path's moral codes. 
a neonate may still cling too desperately to what once made them human to be able to alter their behavior. Yet sometimes the will and strength necessary can be found in the strangest places. What one must understand about paths is that their followers have no pretenses of being human. They know who they are, they embrace it, and they will not look upon the world the same way as you or I do. For better or worse, they have left their old ways behind. Four dark gods have awoken from their aeons of slumber to walk among us and their patronage is a blessing as the time of judgment draws near and I pray for their benevolence. Snow, whose insight is matched only by his compassion. Bambi Parsons, whose passion courses through our veins. Dr. Sheepington, who at last has stirred from his crypt to join his brood, are joined tonight by the ancient and venerable unemployed writer. They are all of them worthy of our worship, and we subjugate ourselves to their might. The Methuselah, her satanic majesty Danny, reborn through fire and ice, Maximilian S. Hardcastle, who maneuvers the chess pieces of the Jihad with ease, Socrates Johnson, the ancient scholar of lore, who has seen fit to engage once more in our nightly games, and Adam Daw, whose wisdom guides my hand, are all of them blessed for their engagement in the works of our council. Edward Reed, Colin Gifford, 06, Stonewolf 18, Jokerman, Cal Constantine, Lauren Eason, Ian Nichols, and the Black Friar are all valued and appreciated member of our council, and their wisdom and good judgment shall be the torchlight by which we conduct our affairs. Our elders, Dante the Canine, What's That Smells Its Blood, Remy Van Roy, Gaslight 88, Aubrey Ayers, Non God, June Pocciolo, Justin S., and Joseph Perry shall receive our blessings for their devotion to our cause and for the example they set for the younger kindred of our sect. We would also wish to send our thanks to the Ancillae, Harry Wyckoff, Envihan, Yudan, Al, and Hawk Heinz for their help and guidance of their juniors. Finally, our stalwart neonates shall, as always, receive our appreciation for their services. And thank you for watching. Now be careful out there, for Gehenna may soon be upon us.